Yeah, that's like our favorite feature, actually. Johannes and I, we like to talk about it as in traveling back in time. When you think about like Harry Potter movies, Hermione has this like time traveling device where you can go back. Hello again. This week we're talking to Planet Scale. We had a great discussion with Lily and Johannes, and it was very, very fun and really eye-opening. Yeah, it's uh, you know, there's new things that are happening in the industry all the time. But seeing you know things like you know major changes in the way we work with databases after many, many, many years of working with databases, and I love to see the enthusiasm of people when they know that they're they're onto something, and you know. Uh, Lily and Johannes really uh, were excited about this. So when the, the people working on it are excited. Yeah, and when, when Lily was saying she likes to introduce PlanetScale as a database, which is cool, I kind yeah. of eye-rolled and like, okay, come on. And by the end, I was convinced. I think it's cool too. <laughs> <laughs> Fun, even. Yep. Without any further ado, please tune in to the DevOps Sauna podcast on PlanetScale. Hello and welcome to DevOps Sauna. My name is Mark. I'll be your host today. As usual, I have my cohort, Andy Allred. Hello, hello. Today, um, it's really exciting. Um, we've got a couple of guests, Lily and Johannes from PlanetScale. Hi. Hi, ho. PlanetScale, what is it? It's, uh, this has been something that's been trending lately. We've been really excited about. Is it GitHub for databases or stateless storage in the cloud? But I think it's the next great leap for databases. So, uh, Lily Johannes, can you tell us what is PlanetScale? Sure. Yeah, I um, I always like to say it's a cool database, and then people look really strangely at me, and they're like, <laughs> "What do you mean by cool database? Like, this is literally something that would never be used together in one sentence, right?" Yeah, I would really say it's a cool database because it's the first database, at least that comes to my mind, that developers actually really like to work with because it's developed by you know people who either have been in the MySQL space for a while or in the database space for a while, and they are getting a bit sick of what is around because it just doesn't fit everything else that they're working with. Or, and that's the other part of PlanetScale, developed by you know developers themselves who, for instance, came from developing GitHub um, and working with that and being super surprised that there wasn't anything easier out there to work with databases. So um, it basically combines the possibility to do branching and merging as you do for your code changes now with databases and then also giving the possibility to scale almost infinitely. So that's the cool part about it. I think the somewhat more boring uh, descriptive part is it's a MySQL based database as a service um, that we run for you and manage for you. Excellent. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure that I've heard very many people getting excited about cool databases, <laughs> except Andy. Actually, bringing you here. Today. <laughs> so I heard uh, that you mentioned GitHub, and and there's a connection there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know w what is that connection with PlanetScale? Yeah, sure. I, I I can start, and then maybe Johannes wants to fill in. So. The connection is, so one connection is we have a lot of people who came over from GitHub really and started working on PlanetScale. And the, the big part, as I mentioned just now, is the branching and merging that 
became very popular with GitHub for code changes um, connected to the pull request. And this is something that we've now implemented in the database world as well, so that you can connect, that you can do your schema changes with database branching and merging. Sure, I guess uh, PlanetScale is the tale of at least two former companies. Uh, one of those former companies is GitHub, but it was not the first one. Where it really started was at YouTube after they got acquired from Google uh, in 2010. Our founders uh, of, of PlanetScale, they were still working at YouTube uh, as site reliability engineers with a task to manage MySQL for YouTube. And during that time, after YouTube got bigger and bigger, one single MySQL no, it didn't cut it anymore. They they needed to scale horizontally. And MySQL was originally not designed to do that. So they built a horizontal scaling layer on top of MySQL. Uh, initially, this was running bare metal. But uh, after a certain while, Google asked them to port this into Borg, the predecessor of Kubernetes, and open source the result as an open source framework called Vitesse. So Vitesse is the technical foundations of PlanetScale. It's a CNCF project that makes you run MySQL in Kubernetes horizontally scalable for up to millions of transactions per second and petabytes of data used by companies like Etsy, Square, GitHub, Roblox, and so on. So that's the first company, YouTube, that is the foundations of Planet Scale. So it was nice technology battle tested for many years, uh, but still hard to use, not as slick as, as GitHub from the workflow perspective. And then many folks from GitHub joined, including our new CEO, Sam Lambert, uh, Lily and myself, to have the same user experience, which you have in ordinary DevOps tools in the database world as well, which means branching, merging, reverting changes, bisecting, and all the good stuff. Interesting. Um, I know we're going to talk a lot about scaling, but something that kind of came to mind was this isn't just for big companies, is it? And big databases. And no, it's not. We also wanted to copy this idea of GitHub and uh, many other developer tools that there should be a free tier. So anybody who would like to start with a database um, that is just a megabyte large or, or even smaller can can just do this for free on planet scale. And then we make sure that if it's growing to no matter what limits your business is up to or your hobby project is up to, we we will just transparently provide the necessary resources to make that work. So that if you are a startup, for instance, you don't have to wait until a certain a point in your in your technology and in market fit before you before you adopt a new database. You can just stick with one database and it will grow with you and your ambitions. I was first introduced to the VTES when I was trying to deploy MySQL inside of Kubernetes and I came across VTES and and how it scales inside Kubernetes and I thought, oh, this is really, really cool. I love this. This is so exciting. And then when I was introduced to Planet Scale, I thought, oh, this is just like commercial support for VTES. Yeah, that's cool. I, I want some. Let's get it. Uh, no problem. This is fine. But then started talking with you guys and finding out that, well, it is all that. And we're adding all this other stuff on top of it. And then I was converted set and agree with Lily that, yeah, this is a really cool database. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I mean, we did do the test support for quite a while. It's just that we figured out First of all, often it doesn't really serve, you know, those somewhat smaller companies that start out and then need to grow into something, but like changing your database setup 
in between is super hard, right? Migrating to a new database is not really something that you want to do when you're growing and you have other business priorities. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is also even just for like big companies, managing the tests is really, really hard, right? You need to have experts who can run your Kubernetes cluster, but you also need to have experts who really know what the test is, how to operate it. Um, and then still there's probably a couple of questions that you're going to have. And we, yeah, we really wanted to remove that sort of barrier to working with the technology or being able to access that technology, but not having to have, you know, all of the expertise in-house yourself. Yeah. And then when you can uh, bring in all the other stuff, which uh, Planet Scale has, which we'll talk about soon, into this, and then you have it available in this kind of free model up to five gigabytes, I think it was. So then when you're a startup, you really kind of get the cool benefits and you set up the really good workflows with branching and merging and all the good stuff from the beginning, instead of setting up something, getting used to it, putting all your tooling and processes in place, and then trying to shift it while you're running. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's there's many features where you will benefit from the very beginning, no matter whether you will ever need to scale, um, like uh, reviewing schema changes together with your team or finding out how your queries are performing and why they are performing not as great as you might have thought. Like, especially with new um, beginners who, who just started in the database world, they often don't really know about indexes or they set an index, but the index they set is actually not being used because they, for instance, were mixing up the the cardinality or were, were using combined indexes in the wrong order. So they thought their, their queries would be efficient, however, they were not. And PlanetScale Insights, which is also free for our hobby tier, shows them an not only how fast queries are performing, but also what kind of indexes are used and what improvements can be done so that um, you can optimize your queries from the beginning, even if you're just in the megabyte size of storage, for instance. Would you like to tell us a little more about PlanetScale Insights? Sure. There, there's many, many tools in the performance monitoring for databases, uh, SolarWinds, all the APM tools, New Relic, DataDoc, and so on. And what most of those have in common is that they instrument the application and find out how long certain queries or calls to web services take. So with those technologies, you can find out exactly what calls are made and how long they take, but in many cases, you don't find out why they are taking that long. In order to do that, you would need to directly instrument the database. And as we have the MySQL experts um, who uh, previously did the same instrumentation for Git when they were still working at GitHub, we can also find out, for instance, how many rows have been examined in for, to, to fulfill a certain query uh, and what kind of indexes have been used and um, how many rows have been returned. So whether something was inefficient and what can be done in order to make it more, uh, more efficient. So it's basically directly changing the MySQL code to extract the necessary additional metrics and uh, push them into a a Kafka chain where we can then analyze them in almost real time and provide the results to the users in combination with the schema changes they have done. So if you 
for instance, figured out that your queries were getting slower the last week, you can directly pinpoint what kind of schema change or application change was responsible for it. Uh, think about it similarly to, to Git bisect, where if you found a bug, uh, you can find out where when it did not happen and when it started to happen. And then uh, you can drill down in, uh, in, in this interval of changes when exactly the problem uh, occurred the first time. And then um, you, you probably don't want to experiment in production with the changes in order to see whether your queries are performing better. You would instead uh, create a new feature branch with our data branching feature, copy over the same data as you have in the production database, then run your new queries there, see whether they are performing better. And then uh, after review, merge them back into the the main production branch uh, without uh, right locking any tables doing so. So it's uh, it's it's the DevOps world like you know it from pull requests in GitHub or merge requests in GitLab applied to databases. Where until now you you only had your your main production database and uh, and some staging instances which were loosely connected to it, but um, were not really on the very same schema or very same production data. And with insights, you can safely troubleshoot and get information which is not available to external APM tools normally. Wow. And so you can test schema changes on different mm -hmm. branches, merge forward the ones you like. And then I suppose then once you're in production, um, can you revert schema changes? Yeah, that's like our favorite feature, actually. Um, that's Johannes and I, we like to talk about it as in traveling back in time. When you think about like Harry Potter movies, Hermione has this like time traveling device where you can go back. And then the cool thing about it is, of course, that, you know, you can make changes that are still reflected in the future. So the way it works is, of course, imagine you've done your schema change, like you've dropped a table that you didn't want to drop. And then you're sitting there with like cold sweat in your face and you're thinking like, oh no, what have I done? And actually it's something that uh, happened to our CEO when he was working at GitHub. So like he could really feel the pain of that happening to him. And it, I think it was even in like his first weeks or something at GitHub. So he was like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired, you know? And he would have really wished to have the opportunity to revert that schema change. And what I find fascinating about it is that in planet scale, because we have the web interface, you can even do this with the click of a button. So, I mean, right now, probably you would have guessed I'm not a developer lifting the secret here, but like I can even do the revert for a schema change because we allow you to do that for like 30 minutes. Um, that's, that's how we, that, that's how we implemented it in uh, blend scale right now. That time can be adjusted if it has to be. Um, but usually within the first 30 minutes, we figure out, you know, whether something went terribly wrong. So yeah, you click the button, you can revert your schema change, but the changes that you've done in between. So if you've written data to your database in the meantime, which of course usually happens because you don't just stall your business for 30 minutes, uh, that data won't be lost. Wow. So if the canary lives for 30 minutes. <laughs> but dropping tables in production, does anybody ever really do that? I've never done that more than a handful of times. <laughs> <laughs> More than a handful, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't need to be dropping tables in production. It's also dropping columns or just changing the type of a column or even adding 
adding or removing indexes, right? This databases are still a fragile thing. Like even a an, an ordinary select query can potentially bring down databases. So no matter how much you test it, product there's no other place. There's no place like production, right? And um, the the reason why we are limiting it to 30 minutes, uh, as my, some some listeners might wonder, is that we are actually keeping a shadow table or shadow tables around with the with the original schema and the original data. And those uh, shadow tables they are still transparently updated uh, with all the new data that is coming in, so that after uh, that if if you realized your problem, you can basically swap the shadow table with the ordinary uh, with the new table atomically without any downtime but that also means that during all this time you have two parallel realities like the old uh, the old uh, present and the new present and you um, and this just takes a lot of disk space if you if you're talking about terabytes of data you're if you're having terabytes of additional data and that's why we're saying 30 minutes is the the default and we're not going there infinitely yeah and just this idea that you have uh, something running in production and you just change a column and whatever the moment the first customer query comes in and changes your data now any ability to revert is like or seriously diminished unless you have something like planet scale that you can then go back so this 30 minute would really save a lot of things more than just dropping tables absolutely yeah dropping tables um it happens, but in most cases, it happens because people didn't even realize its production. The incident Lily was talking about at, at GitHub, we learned our lessons out of this in two ways. Uh, one was that whenever you logged into a production shell, it had a red background <laughs> so that you knew this is production and not, not any kind of playground. Um, and uh, in in Planet Scale, we have a concept for those branches similar to GitHub protected branches, meaning if you're in a production branch, you cannot even run any DDL statements like dropping tables or alter tables entirely. So this, these are, you, you, would, you are forced to go over a feature branch, test your changes first, and then merge them in, and then you can still rewind them. But it's not possible to issue any direct data definition language changes uh, on prod branches similar to protected branches. So this execant cannot happen anymore. Cool. And we were talking earlier that this is kind of like MySQL interface. So from the wire, it looks like MySQL. But is there any other guardrails in place uh, around that specific interface? Yeah, so Vitesse is this scaling, this open source scaling layer running on Kubernetes to, to make MySQL scale under the hood. It's really using MySQL Oracle Community Edition or whatever MySQL uh, variant you want to use. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's not just the protocol, but also using MySQL, including InnoDB under the hood. Uh, however, during all the time at YouTube, but also GitHub and many other companies, I think there's more than 2,000 contributors to Vitesse from open source, we learned about harmful or potentially harmful queries. So whenever there's a query going to MySQL that, for instance, would give back more than 100,000 rows or that would join in a very inefficient manner or would run more than 20 seconds it will by default not be even executed. It will just return a warning 
that this is probably not a good idea. And that helps a lot if somebody from the marketing department or analytics department comes up with a very, very complex SQL query based generated by a tool and wants to run this on a Friday evening uh, and would, would affect the, the production database. So you can, uh, you can fine tune all of those guardrails like row limits, uh, parallel transactions, um, or what kind of uh, join operations are supported. But uh, by default, uh, they're not allowed so that you can't uh, shoot yourself in the foot. That's the design. Hi, it's Mark again. Efficode's been working with GitHub and other partners for a very long time, and we have a great deal of expertise, and we'd love to share it with you. Please have a look at the show notes, and you'll find links to some of our offering. Now, back to the episode. And what about foreign key constraints? How often does this come up, Lily, foreign key constraints? <laughs> every, every conversation, I feel like we have. So I think it's a myth on the internet that we do not support foreign keys. The reality is that we do support them. It's just that we don't support foreign key constraints. So yeah, basically that is not a problem. The reason why we've very consciously decided or why also basically the maintainers of the test have very consciously decided not to allow foreign key constraints is mainly that it's counterproductive to scaling your MySQL setup. Yeah, we have uh, we have seen cases in production where you had just ten parent records. Like think about artists, for instance. You just you would just want to delete artists that don't want to be on YouTube anymore, for instance, ten of them, and it looks like an innocent query. Just deleting ten records. What could possibly go wrong? But then there's a foreign key constraint, a cascading delete on all the albums or videos of that artist, and then all the comments of that particular artist, which is potentially billions of records. So you can do something like delete uh, delete star from artists where artist equals whatever foobar, limit 10 and think you're safe, but it's still triggering by cascading deletes billions of records to be deleted. And during that time, you have all kind of nasty read and write logs on your database. And it could be that for the next couple of hours or even days, nothing else can uh, effectively running on this database as long as the write logs are still in place. And the way how to scale this is basically not allowing cascading deletes, but rather marking those records you want to delete with a soft delete and then have background jobs, which are, for instance, deleting 500 rows per, per second, for instance, so to not completely yeah, ruin the performance of your database with log contention. So it was a design, a conscious design to do it. There's another reason when we are doing uh, this fancy stuff like rewinding schema changes or doing non-blocking schema changes with those shadow tables. At the moment, you have more than one table you want to change in the same time, then cascading deletes or foreign key constraints in that regard wouldn't work either because while we are creating those shadow tables, uh, those constraints are not met in this moment for those shadow tables because we gradually build them up so that uh, the main production database branch is not affected. So we, when, when we are copying data over for new branches or for, for non-blocking schema changes, we always check 
that the, the main traffic of the production database gets priority. So you, we are yielding to production traffic. Uh, so those, those tables are only incrementally built. And while they've been built incrementally, it could be that certain foreign key constraints are not yet satisfied. Um, there's the planet scale block with a lot of expert content on the specific reasons, for instance, from Shlomi Noach, um, who also bit, built a database infrastructure at GitHub before. Yeah, our recommendation is to, to read that blog if you want to learn about the nitty gritty details. Really cool stuff. Are there some new things that are that are coming about? Is there something? So at the time of recording, it is uh, mid-August. You'll probably be hearing this in a, in a few weeks. But uh, what's going on at PlanetScale that you'd like to tell us about or what's coming up next? One exciting thing which we will which will be launched when this podcast comes out is the ability to interact with our database from JavaScript over the HTTP protocol. That sounds like a given. Like, uh, why is that something special, right? Uh, to to just use HTTP for 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 any kind of service, but for databases, it's it's kind of unique. Most of them only support proprietary binary protocols uh, over well TCP/IP, but not uh, over HTTP. So for things like Cloudflare workers, for for efficient caching, or just uh, for any kind of um, technology that is uh, gluing other technologies together, HTTP or HTTPS is the way to, to do this. And databases uh, for a long time didn't play along. So we will provide a JavaScript-based library that can be used to, to directly talk SQL to PlanetScale and with that to MySQL um, over HTTPS. And you don't have to worry about any binary protocols or middleware layers anymore. Cool. And I think that we uh, we spoke in the pregame a little bit about the future database principles. I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yaris, do you want to tell? Oh, uh, yeah, I can. Uh, I mean, there's principles.planetscale.com where we thought about how a future database should look like. And this is not so much about planet scale as it will be about any other database. And it uh, could very well be that there's uh, other databases who implement those things faster or certain aspects of that faster. But um, without further ado, it's basically seven seven principles. Um, I don't want to go through all of them here, but the feature we were just talking about, the ability to, to use HTTP for addressing uh, our database and not a binary protocol. That is, for instance, the principle number four, interoperable, uh, being consumable by any client. We believe that there's more and more devices in the Internet of Things that like to uh, like to talk SQL or like to go to a data store, which only know how to talk in HTTPS, for instance. So it should be consumable by, by any client. Uh, we also believe that was Lily's main point about being a cool database. It has to be easy to operate and should fit into any DevOps workflow. So you should be able to create a new database within seconds and every developer should be able to create such a feature branch, for instance, just with a CLI, just like any other tool being able to revert, doing canary deployments, copying data around. Uh, it can be very complex in the background, but you shouldn't be worried about it. Uh, but I guess the difference to other technologies in the DevOps cycle is 
databases always have to work, right? There's just one single point of truth. That's the database. And so no matter what kind of features you add, it still has to be fundamentally reliable. So features are nice, but uh, you can never trade them for the reliability and consistency of the database. And it should not really matter how much data you put into it. Uh, as we said in the beginning, it can be just a couple of megabytes, but let's imagine you get on Hacker News or on Product Hunt and somebody likes your software or your service and you, you double or triple every single day, then your database should just horizontally scale with you and provide you the intelligent tips how you can improve your queries so that uh, your performance grows with your user base. And there's more principles on uh, principles.planetscale.com. That's it in a nutshell. I really like this idea that uh, make the database consumable by any client. And you know you can just use HTTP like REST or Graph API or kind of what, whatever else, but it's just another HTTP and you have your, your data available instead of always building some middleware layer in between to kind of cache things. This is really intriguing. Our, our VP of engineering, Nick Van Vigorin, also said that he fundamentally believes that the decision whether a cache is still valid or not, that should go back into the database layer. I mean, we, we, we built so many caching layers on top of databases and, and some are great, but I guess the biggest challenge is always knowing when to invalidate data. And the database manages your data, so it should know exactly when to do that for every single query, right? Or for every single request. It just, databases just didn't grow as fast as the internet, at least not until now. But once they can horizontally scale and be available anywhere, they should also be the, well, the, the authority knowing when to uh, invalidate a cache and when not, right? So that's another thing we predict that there will be less need for complicated caching architectures on top of databases in the future. And we talked about some of the uh, typical GitHub kind of ideas and mentality being brought over to databases. One of the popular ones lately is Dependabot, where it just says, hey, here's some updates you need for your for your uh, security and new versions. Is there anything like that for planet scale for running your database? I, I very much like your idea. I mean, Dependabot uh, is, when Lily and I were still working at GitHub, Dependabot was a breakthrough, mostly because, uh, mostly because of the acceptance, how many of those security fixes were just merged, whereas there has been security tools which were telling you that you're vulnerable for, for many, many years. But there's a big difference between a an abstract advice, you could fix this and that, and you said, yeah, thank you, but I'm busy. Or here is an automated pull request that already does what uh, we are suggesting and it's passing the tests, right? Now think about a similar approach for databases where with Insights, for instance, figured out that a query is getting slower and slower and examining more rows or is even doing a full table scan. And you could uh, propose an index or re reversing some, some join condition. And instead of giving some abstract advice to somebody who is not an expert there, just say, this is the necessary schema change. Uh, you can test it out in isolation in a feature branch to even see whether it's giving you the results. You can also connect your application to that feature branch and run all your unit tests and system tests to see whether it introduces any regression. And uh, if everything is green, boom, you just press the merge button instead of abstract non-actionable 
advice, just proof already that the suggestion worked and then um, merging it. It also allows to to open the planet scale platform for partners, like similar to Dependabot, there's a large ecosystem of providers for those vulnerabilities and suggestions. Why not have the same for databases? It could imagine other companies who are just specialized in learning how to improve certain queries and then creating those pull requests. Obviously, this only works if, if you give access to your database or in GitHub repositories, but it's, it's making it possible to also benefit from from community distributions and that's something very unique at least i can yeah there's a go ahead i was just going to say there's a very very big difference between you should think about an index and here's an index would you like to merge it and then just yeah. extending that to kind of a wider ecosystem and community and kind of getting more eyes on the same problem can only just make this even better Collaboration for database is not there yet. <laughs> Here's three branches with, with different properties that we've tested and we found which one works the best and that's the one that we're going to merge. Yeah, that's true. You can even go for multiple versions, right? That's kind of the A-B, A-B testing for performance, right? And with auto-generated uh, suggestions, that's pretty cool. You can also think about cherry-picking certain aspects. Like you, you've seen in another project of your company, that a certain change helped them a lot. And then you just want to benefit from that particular change, right? So many of those version control analog uh, metaphors are now coming to the database world as well. It's funny, we've had databases, what, 50, 60 years now. And it feels like this is like the greatest feature set that I've seen in quite some time. I wonder why it took us so long to get here, but I'm glad we're here now. <laughs> I guess people are just very reserved when it comes to dealing with their data. It's the heart, the heart of the business, right? Like when we when we talk about database migrations, for instance, it's always that Johannes says it's kind of like a heart transplant that you're putting in, right? It's very different. You only want to do it if there's a lot of pain. So it's typically new projects or. Well, my colleague Liz says it's 10% of the cases, it's really people who want to start with something new and fresh. And in 90%, the pains are just so big, they, they can't scale with a single node or couple of nodes anymore and are forced to. But it's, it's, it's never been fun, right? Uh, and we hope to make it more fun. And we also have features to, for instance, import other MySQL databases without any downtime. But still, it's nothing anybody would like to do voluntarily unless it's a completely new project. Okay. It was hard enough to believe when you were talking about a cool database. Now you're talking about a fun <laughs> database. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess you can only find out if you try it, you know? Well, it's kind of hard to resist. Um, you know, from some of the founders of big data and hyperscaling, being able to create new databases as a developer in seconds, going from, you know, community and free tier to, you know, managed services uh, that fully scale in the cloud, being easy to operate, um, trying to be fun and cool for the developer experience, enabling uh, blue-green and canary and rollback Traveling back in time, I think, is where we really start to get uh, get over the edge. I think Planet Scale's really got a, a very interesting offering. Is there anything else that you guys would like to to bring up before we close? I guess I I always like to say since we are the database for developers, we also really want to make sure that we stay that way. 
So every feedback is appreciated and we want to make sure that we iterate and that we stay as cool as we think we are at least. So if anyone tries it out and thinks we're not as cool as we were saying, then please let us know as well, because we would love to hear it and we would like to change it then. And many features of feedback from the community, like the new feature um, to, to talk to our database from JavaScript directly over HTTP, that was basically just a tweet from somebody who was unhappy that he couldn't use Cloudflare workers with PlanetScale. So I've rarely seen teams that can come up with new features within one or two weeks of development. But that's also the case because those folks or many of the engineers, they've been working together since since five to eight years because they joined from companies like GitHub or, or YouTube where they were already working together since many years. So it's it's teams that know each other for that long that yeah, new features I don't take that more that long anymore as also the designers uh, joined with them. Yeah, I just have to give kudos again. It's like, you know, telling the story that planet scale is is giving, you know, essentially I, I won't push zero day delivery, but very fast turnaround from feedback to deliveries so that other companies can do the same for their customers without the database being the bottleneck. It's like uh, we have video on here. This is a podcast, but everybody's like shaking their head up and down. Yes, it's like really kudos. I'd like to thank again um, my guests from Planet Scale, Lily and Johannes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us here. Um, Thanks for hosting us. Yeah, exactly. It's really been a joy. And as always, my cohort, Andy Allred. Thanks. It's been fun. Before we go, I have two questions for each of you that we've been asking all of our guests. And I'd like to start with Lily. I have two questions. The first question is, can you remember uh, back when you were a child, what is the first thing you wanted to be when you grew up? I, I can't remember. I really, really wanted to be an actress very badly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Really cool. So then the second question is, um, can you look back in your in your life, your career, and think, was there a moment where the path that you're on really crystallized? Or was there a moment where you realized that you, you needed to change the path you're on? Yeah, I actually very much had a moment where it became clear to me that I didn't want to do what I studied for, because I wanted to be in politics initially. And then eventually I figured out that's that's not really going to be it for me because I started working in tech. Um, and first I thought, uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm in sales. First, I thought sales is like really, really bad. Like you think of that person selling a car and just like really wanting to get rid of it and sell it to you. But when I started in tech, I realized, you know, there's so many cool technologies out there. And like sometimes it's just that you're looking online as someone who's looking for a solution and it's just really hard to figure out, you know, where, what really fits in. And so I realized, okay, I'm not just like that person who tells you, hey, this is amazing, buy it. But I'm really the person who is like listening to you and looking into, is this a good match? And that's when I realized, okay, actually sales isn't that bad. And then the second also just technology is evolving so much faster than politics is, I feel like. <laughs> So it, um, it just seemed to be a better fit because, yeah, it was faster moving. Cool. I think we're all glad <laughs> that you did as well. So, Johannes, can you remember the first thing uh, that you wanted to be when you grow up? Yes, uh, I wanted to drive a red locomotive, so a train. 
uh, and and actually <laughs> drive my grandmother around uh, GDR. They they are still telling me that I haven't um, done this dream yet. Right. So one day I have to buy this red locomotive. <laughs> that's, that's one of the greatest answers I think I've ever heard. So Johannes, uh, uh, question two, then um, did you crystallize the path that you're on or was there a moment where you realized that you needed to change it? Yeah, I mean, until my early 20s, when I was still studying, my dream was always to become a professor in IT. And I was studying and uh, already writing my bachelor thesis and wanted to use a new term. Um, I think it was tracker workflow. And uh, my professors gave me the feedback that this this term is not established and there's not a, enough research papers to just use that term. So I should rather use uh, something already established or do do more research on, on, on terminology. And during that time, I was just doing um, uh, an internship or at, I was doing an internship at Collabnet, the founders of Subversion. So branching and merging was always part of my career from the beginning, where um, I had the opportunity to work on SourceForge and TeamForge and um, and just added this term tracker workflow into the product. And as this product was used by a couple million users, it just took off. And when I finished my master thesis, it was already an established term. And then I realized it's much easier to go into that open source ecosystem, do something that is impacting the developer community and create facts as just observing uh, passively the trends, uh, or not even trends, but the history of computer science. Uh, and there I decided I, I like to uh, switch to the industry and not staying in academics. Excellent story. Thank you. Okay. Um, this is Mark, DevOps Sauna. Thank our guests again, and we're signing off. Hi, my name is Johannes Nikolai. I'm working as a solutions engineer at PlanetScale, where we have a database with branching and merging capabilities. Branching and merging seems to be the motto of my professional career. I started as a marketing intern at Collabnet, the founders of Subversion, and then went into a Subversion merge tracking. I later decided to move to GitHub, where I um, uh, was fascinated by the pull request and all the branching and merging that goes with it. And since a year working for PlanetScale, working mostly with the um, European customers. Hi, I'm Lili Zaitan-Besiger. Uh, I work at PlanetScale as an account executive for the European region. So basically that means I'm here for everyone who wants to learn more about PlanetScale and help you uh, in the progress of implementing it and or testing it as well work with us on the long term. I came over from GitHub, where I got very much used to the beautiful DevOps world and everyone who's in it. Uh, and I didn't want to leave it, just learned that PlanetScale is, um, yeah, PlanetScale works really well together with GitHub as well and figured I'll move on to that and sell cool databases. It's all about that base. <laughs> <laughs> what, a what a closing sentence, <laughs>